This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, July 7th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us for the Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. One important aspect of investing is diversity in your portfolio. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, one way to help children learn about financial strategies is by making it a family affair. We're joined by Matt Mateegan, CEO, Blue World Asset Managers based in Chicago. You can find his blog at blueworldam.com. Matt, thanks for joining us today. It sounds like, I mean, just uh, based on a uh, just thinking about what a family investment club is, uh, it sounds like you can learn uh, at a very young age uh, three or four very important lessons, and they don't have anything to do with investing. But let's start with the most practical one. Uh, you learn how investing works and uh, some of the terminology that we use in the show that makes it sound like uh, we're not even speaking English some days. Uh, all of a sudden, it'll make a whole lot of sense. And that's, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head with the point uh, behind all of this. When it comes to teaching uh, younger children about financial responsibility, and investing and uh, just the the general language of of economics and finance, you can talk about it until you're blue in the face, but until you actually do it, until you actually get your hands in the dirt, so to speak, uh, you hear the words, you might even know what they mean, but they don't have any practical significance. So we started our kids with this investment club at a very, very young age so that by the time they were in in junior high, they were not just financially literate, not just understood uh, how to avoid issues like with unsecured consumer credit and and all of the pitfalls with that, but but they were actually active traders where they they understood what it meant to buy low and sell high and and how to accomplish that and manage risk. And then also, they, they learn a thing or two about the uh, structure of partnerships uh, when this family investing club is put together. All of the uh, rules involving uh, getting a tax ID number, making sure you're legally set up, making sure there are rules about uh, who can administer the fund and how decisions are made. And that's something that can help you much later in life if you want to start a business of your own. That's absolutely true, and that's exactly, and I know we've talked about this before, uh, that's exactly how we run this. I, it, it is under a business entity. We do observe business entity formalities. We meet regularly. We take notes in minutes. We, we have a, uh, you know, a codified set of rules, uh, and, and all of it is just that. It's not just about going out and investing in the public markets. It's about learning entrepreneurial skills, learning business skills, 
understanding how all of those things work and how it applies to everything from, again, stocks and bonds to uh, real estate and starting your own business. And then later in life, uh, as uh, the parents uh, age out or uh, get older and uh, the kids uh, take a larger and larger piece of responsibility at administering the Family Investment Club, you get to learn all about uh, uh, things to how do you disperse those funds after somebody uh, passes on and, and the legal issues there. Okay, I guess you just outed me because ultimately <laughs> I want to make sure those kids know how to take care of me. Right. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well, like I said, this is this is a thing that uh, teaches so many lessons uh, over the course of your life, uh, and they can be imparted from a very early age. And uh, like you said, it's never too early to start. Matt Matigan, CEO of Blue World Asset Managers, based in Chicago. You can find his blog at blueworldam.com. And then coming up, making sure all of your investing eggs aren't in one basket. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. When you put together an investment strategy, it's important to cover multiple bases. Let's get some help from Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer with Crescent Capital based in Chicago. Jack, thanks for joining us today. Uh, that sounds like a lesson that's uh, that's especially important now uh, that the stock market has gone from uh, overvalued to undervalued. And uh, this could be a good time to reset your portfolio as well. Yeah, I mean, there are a number of elements to... Um diversification. It's not just uh, buying um, different asset classes in different markets, but then it's also, like you said, uh, rebalancing. So when one market perhaps outperforms another, uh, it is uh, beneficial periodically to just rebalance back to uh, whatever you believe your long-term target should be. And uh, let's talk about those long-term targets. Uh, w- w- if, if you're uh, still like 30 or so years away from retirement, um, what should you have done during the downturn and what can you do now? Sure. Um, so in terms of um, allocations, we, uh, we at Crescent use a goals-based investing program, which essentially just means that we match the time horizon of the investments to the time you need the cash from your portfolio. So um, in, in, your, in the case of a 30-year-old, uh, unless they need to draw on their portfolio sometime soon, we would expect that they would want to own uh, you know, growth-oriented assets that require a seven-year time horizon and even thematic-type investments that require uh, more of a 15-year time horizon. Um, in terms of what they should be doing, probably nothing. Just continue to add to the portfolio over time, and um, adding uh, in 2022 uh, will uh, obviously offer some bargains in the long term. And then uh, if you are uh, at retirement age, you've just retired, you're thinking about it, and uh, the recent downturn has caused you to possibly re-examine your goals, what are some things uh, you should be doing right now? Yeah, so um, I I suppose the good news is that uh, at long last, probably the last decade or so, interest rates uh, finally adequately reflect the economic environment that we're in when you consider growth in the economy plus um, any expected inflation out there. So, you know, for the first time in a while now, longer-term bonds should be able to offer um, retirees and and other investors a yield that is likely in excess of, um, of inflation 
uh, at least longer term inflation. And then we we always talk about uh, investing goals and strategies uh, in, in the context of retirement, just because that's you know how most people experience the financial markets. Uh, but if you have other goals, let's say saving for college, or you have a vacation fund, or you're trying to save up for home remodeling, or, or some other goal in which you'd like to get a better rate of return on your savings compared to just putting it in the bank, uh, what are some things you should do uh, if if that's your goal? Yeah, so that's exactly uh, the point of how we invest uh, at Crescent. So what we try to do is take those goals and and you know those tangible goals are easy to articulate. You just what how much cash do you need and in what uh, period of time, and then what we try to do is find the uh, highest yielding or highest returning asset uh, that will offer uh, an investor the highest certainty that they'll have. Uh, the money that they need when they need it. Um, so in the case of, let's say, uh, a three-year time horizon, um, that would really be um, probably a, a portfolio of income securities. What we have found is that if you buy a broad-based of, of bond, bond funds, uh, and you have a three-year time horizon, uh, generally, um, at least history, historically speaking, you'll have a 95% likelihood of actually uh, having a positive return over a three-year holding period. Um, if your goals uh, require, you know, uh, offer a, a longer-term horizon, uh, generally a, a portfolio of adequately diversified equities uh, offer investors, uh, you know, probably high 80s to close to 90% success rate in delivering a positive return over a seven-year holding period. So that's really the lesson, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful your listeners will take away that um, it's really about matching the time horizon and the investment. Um, so if I had, for example, you know, a tax payment due in April of 2023, you know, I don't care how much I like Apple stock, I'm not going to put my uh, the money that I need to make that tax payment in Apple stock just because of the uncertainty surrounding Apple, or even the S&P 500, for that matter, uh, between now and April 2023. Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer of Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, a look at some of the most unusual stock market indicators. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As investors look for signals in the market, some turn to unconventional indicators. Let's talk about some of the unusual ones with Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. These are always fun little data points that uh, may not necessarily be accurate 100% of the time, but it's kind of a fun little intellectual exercise. And we've a couple of them have cropped up uh, since COVID. I mean, for example, uh, some people talked about the Yankee Candle Index, uh, where if you have uh, one-star reviews on Amazon from people saying they can't smell their scented candles, uh, it means there's a new COVID surge, which is always kind of a fun little thing to uh, keep an eye on. But in the world of investing, there are some uh, some unconventional indices uh, that investors like to point to as well. That's right. I mean, it's among some of the more outlandish ones, there's uh, indicators that look at uh, sales of men's underwear, sales of uh, women's lipstick, you name it. And uh, I, I, I think the key thing in your intro there was that these are not necessarily 100% accurate. I'd say they're close to 0% accurate. They're fun, but uh, they have no intellectual content. No one's ever actually gone back and tried to, to measure them in a statistically rigorous way, because if they do, 
they, they, they find that they're, they're completely bogus. I mean, one of the statisticians whose uh, advice I often turn to in, in writing about these topics uh, wrote a book, which I recommend highly. It's a very fun little book you can get on Amazon. It's called Stupid Data Mining Tricks. And these, <laughs> it's basically an inside look at, uh, at how people come up with these. And he came up with some stupid ones himself. He puts them in quotes because he wants to illustrate how stupid they are. One finds that this, the S&P 500 is most correlated with, believe it or not, the amount of butter production in Bangladesh. And another one looked at the correlation between uh, the S&P 500 and the amount of buried treasure that is discovered off the United Kingdom coast. I mean, his point in bringing up these is that you can come up with these ones that after the fact might look like it have some plausibility, but when you actually decide to look at them in a rigorous way, they completely fall apart. Some of the uh, recessionary uh, indicators, the copper index, uh, the price of copper, that's a sign a recession is coming. Sales of lipstick surging, uh, that's an economic indicator, according to some, because uh, women are more likely to spend on lipstick as a luxury item compared to bigger ticket items when things turn south. And men's underwear sales, men buy less underwear, that points to a recession. But like all of these data points, they work until they don't. And the one that always sticks out in my mind was the uh, performance of uh, what was then the Washington Redskins, but now the Commanders, uh, how they did in home games or how they did uh, the Sunday before the presidential election always determined uh, how the in-party or out-party would do. And it was a fun little conversation exercise until 2004 when uh, the the index fell apart, but not before the Kerry campaign uh, could send out a press release saying the uh, Washington football team performance was a sign that they were going to win the following Tuesday, which, of course, didn't happen. <laughs> well, that's right. See, I think you're, you're the key thing in your uh, where you said that is that they're a fun conversation piece. And we all love to just chat about it in the same way that we like to talk about the weather or something just to sort of by the by. But I think the broader point is that actually not just these stupid indicators, I put stupid in, in quotes, they're fun to talk about, but the fact is that almost all indicators hardly ever work on Wall Street. This is the thing that uh, I think is the underlying frustration that leads people to go to more and more uh, off-the-wall indicators, because if indeed we had an indicator that was foolproof, we'd be looking at it and we wouldn't be grasping at straws. It's precisely because the, the, the stock market is so inscrutable, and we all know that it is, even if we don't like to admit it, then, uh, then we start looking for more and more things that no one else has looked at, quote-unquote, and uh, we're, we're left with some of these very silly ones. Well, let me go check the Grasping at Straws Index. Mark Hulbert, investment <laughs> columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio. WBBM American basketball star Brittany Griner enters a plea to drug charges in Russia. Great Britain is looking for a new leadership. Technology Thursday, one piece of fallout from the pandemic is a major increase in the use of the, co- of the QR code. And mortgage rates have seen their biggest drop in nearly 14 years. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 206 points. The NASDAQ up 219. The S&P 500 is up 43. And the uh, AccuWeather says humid today. Clouds and limited sunshine. A thunderstorm in one or two spots later this afternoon. High today of 84. Upper 70s along the lakefront. 83 degrees right now at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. American basketball player Brittany Griner has pleaded guilty to drug possession and smuggling during her trial in Moscow. CBS News Chief White House Correspondent Ed O'Keefe with more. What may have gone on here this morning in that Russian court was designed to try to get her a lesser sentence or to get her into some kind of an agreement that gets her sent home. Griner faces up to 10 years in prison if convicted of large-scale transportation of drugs. A change at the top coming to Great Britain. The scene outside number 10 Downing Street as Boris Johnson's cabinet met for the first time since Britain's colorful prime minister announced he's stepping down. I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. Johnson says he'll cooperate fully with his replacement. At least 10 candidates expected to vie for that title. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. And some sad news from Hollywood. The family of actor James Caan says in a tweet that the actor died yesterday. He was 82 years old. James Caan, of course, was in The Godfather playing Sonny Corleone in 1972. Uh, two of his movies uh, with Chicago Ties. Of course, he was in Brian's Song in the 70s. He was also in Michael Mann's Thief, which was uh, released in 1981, but filmed in and around Chicago in 1980. James Kahn, dead at the age of 82. It's 12.32 as the Noon Business Hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are gaining ground. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, the founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Mike, thanks for joining us once again today. Uh, Let's talk about just the general trajectory of the market. Of course, uh, the the first half of the year, uh, one of the worst uh, first halves of any year for the S&P 500 since uh, 1970. And even though all records are meant to be broken, uh, has the the market gotten uh, most of its uh, bearish tendencies out or uh, should it continue for a couple of more months? Well, good afternoon, Robin. Thanks again for having me on. You know, as you said, the first half was the worst in over 50 years. So uh, what does that portend for the second half? Well, we've got the S&P down, you know, in the 3,800 range, 3,900. And and that, to me, is cheap if we are not going into a major recession. And that's the big if. Now, we've we got some jobless claims numbers out today that were a little bit weak, um, certainly things are slowing down, but in my opinion, in the opinion of MJP Capital, uh, our firm, uh, we don't believe that a uh, wide-ranging de- um, destructive recession is, is on, the, on the table here. But, you know, we'll see as the data comes in. You know, you have a Fed that is, has been hawkish. They're going to raise again, most likely in a few weeks on July 27th. Uh, and then we'll see how the economy reacts. We, we definitely are slowing. And, uh, but I do think the market is a buy here as long as you believe that 
recessionary risks are, you know, at least as far as a significant downturn, are, are, are small like we do. We, we believe that. We believe the market is a buy here. And, of course, it's not officially a recession unless the uh, NBER uh, says so. And they, <laughs> they look at more... Um, they look at more data points than just uh, expansion and contraction of the economy. Uh, they also include uh, employment as part of their overall uh, recession assessment. Uh, does that mean that uh, the strong labor market is going to serve as the, uh, the cushion for the economy and provide the uh, soft landing the Fed was looking for? Well, you know, so far, uh, unemployment rate has, has been great, and it's at 36 right now. And we're going to get uh, non-farm payrolls tomorrow. I expect it will come in line at about 250,000. And the unemployment rate will probably remain around 3.6. If, if it stays here, it's hard to def- – I mean, the actual the definition of a recession is two straight quarters of negative real GDP. Now, we may get that, but uh, in my mind, that's not, a, that's not a real recession. As you said, there's many more variables that should be taken into account when you really consider what a, what, a, what a significant downturn economically is. And certainly unemployment is one of the major uh, factors in this. And as you said, it is low right now. So, uh, you know, I don't think we are, we are heading into the abyss that some people uh, believe. And, and because of that, I do think stocks are buys here, but it just may take the market a while to be comfortable that we are not going down that dark road. We'll see over the next few few months, and I do think it sets up for a second-half rally um, just because there's so much bad news already baked in stock prices. So unless we get into a major, major downturn second half, I think we're set up for at least a, a, a small relief rally here. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, how the QR code has become an increasing part of daily life. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday, and the QR code has exploded in popularity as a tool for sales and marketing. Let's talk about the skyrocketing use with Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thanks for joining us today. I want to go back to a little over 20 years ago. The year was 2000. There were uh, many attempts to make the web more accessible to people who weren't uh, necessarily uh, the most uh, tech savvy in the world and might be intimidated by the uh, technology and how to get around. And into this space was something called the QCAT. Uh, it was a little <laughs> bar reader, barcode reader. You'd you'd wave your QCAT over the barcode and all of a sudden uh, the web page for whatever you were looking at would pop up on your computer and uh, you wouldn't have to worry about uh, typing in web addresses. And of course the uh, QCAT was a dead piece of technology by 2001, but it sounds like uh, the pandemic uh, vindicated uh, that little QCAT because now everybody is using the QR code. That's true. For, for a lot of reasons, I'd like to go back 20 years, starting with my hairline, but I'm going to go with your tech. I'm going to go with your technology first. And yes, it's so funny. The QCAT was a brilliant idea that was so far ahead of its time, it, it died immediately. Uh, and But the idea was exactly right. QR codes, which is short for quick response codes, some people don't know that, but basically the idea is they store literally hundreds of times more information than a barcode. That's one big advantage. But another, to your point, 
if you don't, especially if you're mobile, and 20 years ago, mobile devices weren't nearly as prevalent, obviously. Um, but if you're mobile and you want to scan a QR code, you can pick up key information about, say, an ad you're interested in or a product you're interested in or even a menu. That's as we, you sort of alluded to. During the pandemic, nobody wanted to touch stuff. QR codes became the replacement for many restaurant menus. Well, the benefit of it, of course, is that it stores tons of information and to the QCATS objective gets you right to the information you're interested in. That, that's reflected in the numbers. There's roughly 100% growth in QR code interactions in the last three years. Every single iPhone made from about last year onward has a QR code scanner on board. You don't have to get an app. 5.3 billion QR code coupons have been issued this year so far. Uh, in other words, you know, for discounts and so forth. So in other words, it's a marketing bonanza and it's a technology that's basic started in the auto industry, but now it's everywhere. And it's something that really uh, is on the restaurant side of things. I mean, that's it's almost been revolutionary in terms of how it's uh, sped up the entire uh, process in which you interact with your server. Uh, you don't have to wait for them to, to bring you your menu. And depending on the establishment, uh, you can just use the QR code to pay your bill and not have to wait for the person to get your credit card, run it, give it back and do the tip, uh, that's all That's all done on your phone thanks to a QR code, and that seems like it's here to stay. That's absolutely right. First of all, it's here to stay. I mean, it, I will say post-pandemic, a lot of us have sort of craved, you know, personal interaction with other people. So th- there, there may be a diminished marginal return here, right? In other words, if you never have to see your server and, and the food just sort of shows up, I think that may not be desirable. I kind of like talking to my server. But anyway, that aside, you're absolutely right. It speeds that transaction. One, there have, you know, it's all, not all positives. One, there, there are benefits and, and drawbacks when it comes to something which scans to your m- mobile device and then shows you something on the mobile device, like a, like a menu. Example, uh, my speaking of 20 years ago, my eyes aren't as what they used to be. And, uh, and a lot of times I have to pinch and then expand the menu on my smartphone to be able to see what's offered. It is still easier. And, and some restaurant owners have said, uh, or some, some stats around restaurants have suggested that, that uh, actual orders around the they're started with a qr code are down around 30 40 percent so some of those so there's a disadvantage sometimes in other words you have to be able to see what the qr code brings you to but again not only does it get that customer lots of information fast it also gets the manufacturer or the seller tons of data during that sale which which always disappeared before now it's digital now it's saved Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come, an update on the mortgage market. The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Mortgage rates are on the decline in a major way. Let's get an update from Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President of Market Intelligence at Atom, based in Irvine, California. Rick, thanks for joining us today. Uh, what does this mean for the housing market as a whole? It's it's definitely a sign that it's it's cooling off. Uh, but does this, does this have to have the potential to uh, kickstart another buying frenzy? That's a great question, Robin. And I think the answer is probably not. Uh, we're, we're looking at interest rates, even as they, they've declined recently, that are still almost twice what they were a year ago. So the, the average buyer who might be looking at a house he or she would have been interested in a year ago uh, would still be looking at a monthly mortgage payment that's probably 40 or even 50 percent higher than what it would have been if they bought the house last year because of the combination of higher interest rates and, and higher home prices. 
And is this a necessary cooling in the housing market? I mean, it sounds like when you heard about uh, available inventory in some states, even big states and big metropolitan areas, the uh, the, the number of homes uh, available for sale uh, seemed laughably low. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's historically low. We, we've we've had the lowest inventory since people have tracked inventory numbers uh, in terms of, of what what's what's selling and what's on the market. The, the good news for prospective home buyers is that we're starting to see more inventory come to market. It's still on the low end, but but improving. Uh, prices will start to settle down because interest rates are higher, and that that hits affordability. So if you're if you're on the market for a house right now, probably best to be a little bit patient as these interest rates settle in and as home price appreciation starts to slow down a bit. And would this give uh, home builders the opportunity to uh, give them a little bit of a breather to actually catch up with the market? Uh, We've seen home builders come back in fairly large numbers. They're actually selling a lot of properties now during the construction phase as opposed to to completed new homes. Um, I I think we've seen housing starts slow down a little bit over the last couple months. Builders are cautious because they got caught with a lot of overbuilt inventory during the Great Recession, and they want to make sure they don't, you know, get out over their skis this time as well. Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President of Market Intelligence at Atom, based in Irvine, California. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.